It's Sunday, January the 2nd, as we begin a We Tackle Life podcast. Season 4 of the We Tackle Life podcast. Yes! Wow! That's hard to believe. I remember when Chris Spielman called me and said, Hey, let's do a podcast. And I didn't have any idea that it would get to Season 4. I didn't have any idea that it would be embraced the way it has been when Spiels was on the podcast, and I appreciate this very much by many of you who still continue to listen and correspond. It means a lot to me, and I consider it a privilege to be able to talk with you. And as I speak with you today, it is Sunday morning, January the 2nd, a little bit after 9 a.m., uh, we do not have a 9.30 service this morning at my church. We have an 11 o'clock service, so I'm uh, very happy to be able to talk about the college football playoff games, the Rose Bowl, and look forward to what is a huge Cincinnati Bengals game today at 1 o'clock and a huge Browns game on Monday Night Football, but not as huge uh, as it could be if the Bengals win today because if Cincinnati wins today, they will clinch the AFC North, and that'll be a phenomenal turnaround in year three under Zach Taylor. Let's start the morning with a reminder that if – I hope you start your morning with Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee. We had an awesome last week. My brother-in-law, his wife, their two lovely daughters, were here with us for a week from Phoenix, Arizona. They just left for the airport very, very early this morning, like 5 a.m., and uh, we got to introduce them to Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee, and they absolutely love it, and so I'm sure they will become repeat customers of Hemisphere like many of you have, and they will use, of course, the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps so that they can get the 15% discount. Hope you're getting the 15% discount. Hemisphere was the first advertiser to reach out and say, hey, maybe we could uh, advertise on your podcast. And it's been an awesome, awesome experience for us. More so, and I'm always happy when I put people in touch with a great product, but more so because it just adds another three, four, five people to the list of great people that I've met over the past few years who love to serve others. Paul, Grace, Andy, and the Hemisphere team do it by buying coffee direct from growers around the world, Indonesia, Thailand, Nicaragua, Ethiopia. You get great coffee that you otherwise would not be able to get through Starbucks, Dunkin', McDonald's, any of the big, huge coffee conglomerates out there. You get really, really, really good coffee. You get it at a lower rate than you'd pay at one of the big coffee conglomerates. And you help the people in those countries do great things, ministry type things. A lot of the growers invest in ministry efforts to spread the gospel in those countries, which I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you're not against. So that's awesome. So go to HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. They describe all their coffees, many different flavors, K-Cups, They have, obviously, roast. They'll sell it to you in whole bean if you want to uh, roast it yourself, grind it yourself. Uh, However you want it, they make it easy for you, and I think you'll love them and become a repeat customer like like so many have. So HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Okay, we'll get to the Buckeyes in a moment, but before we do that, let's reflect on the college football playoff a little bit. The two games on New Year's Eve, blowouts both. Cautionary tale, people. You all want to expand the college football playoff, or at least a lot of you do. I think the lion's share of you do. And you think, oh, it'd be great. Buckeyes will get in every year. That's fine. They will get in every year. They will get in every year, and they will win by 50 points in their first round game and 30 in their second round game. And every other good team that has a realistic chance of winning the national championship will do the same. You will have... A couple great games if you have a 16-team playoff, and I'll tell you right now who the great games will be between. Seven and eight, and, uh, no, excuse me, eight and nine, seven and ten. Those will be the great games, but not every year. 
because teams arrive at the end of the year in different stages of health. They arrive at the end of the year in different stages of motivation. I think one of the reasons why Georgia just absolutely snowplowed Michigan was because Michigan's Super Bowl was Ohio State. Iowa was not very good. Kentucky beat them yesterday, by the way. So Iowa was not very good. So Michigan could still be kind of living in the past a bit and to get to the Big Ten title game, and they've got the nugget of the national championship game out there, and so Michigan plays like its hairs on fire against Iowa, dominates that game, and then Michigan subconsciously was like, hey, man, we did it. We did it. And it's very hard to get back and recapture that same level of emotional preparedness and readiness and hunger that Michigan had against Ohio State and Iowa. Georgia, conversely, was really ticked off at itself after the way it played against Alabama. And so they're like, hey, who's in our way of getting back at Bama? Ah, you guys in the funny helmets. Come on down. Let's play. And they just hammered Michigan. You are going to have that in the college football playoff. And it's not going to be pretty. You go to 8, you go to 16, you go to 12, however you want it. You go look. The average margin of victory in a national semifinal game in the eight years of the college football playoff, the average, not all this way, but the average is 21 points, three touchdowns. Now, I know you're sitting there going, wow, I remember Ohio State-Alabama with 2014. That was an amazing game, and it was. And you remember Ohio State and Clemson a few years ago in the Fiesta Bowl. Didn't end the way you wanted it to, but that was an amazing game. And those are just about the only two semifinals that have been worth watching past the midpoint of the third quarter. And that's how it's going to be if we expand the college football playoff, which we will because there's money to be made. But it is an egregious, egregiously dumb idea to do it. More is not always better. More is just more. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to cram more lousy games down your throat. Are any of you burning to watch any of those games yesterday before the Rose Bowl? Could you wait to get your eyes on Arkansas-Penn State? Could you wait to get your eyes on Iowa-Kentucky? Did you watch Purdue and Tennessee the night before, a couple nights before? And you're riveted to the action when they scored five touchdowns in the last, what, two minutes and couldn't get out of each other's way? I wasn't, and I don't really think college football fans will either. I think it will neuter. In fact, I guarantee you, I guarantee you a couple months – well, this is not a fair year because in most years – if you ask an Ohio State fan in August, hey, who were the two teams that lost in the college football playoff semifinals last January? Most Ohio State fans will maybe be able to name one right off the bat, but the other one will go, oh, gee, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, I remember. Hmm, don't really know. You'll remember them this past year because, of course, you love the fact that Georgia absolutely eviscerated Michigan. And you'll remember that Cincinnati was in there because, you know, you didn't want Cincinnati in there. You wanted Ohio State in there. But most years you don't remember. So do you even think you're going to remember in a couple years when you have four lopsided first-round games? I don't think you are. Or, heaven forbid, eight lopsided first-round games. So that's my thought on uh, the overall look at the college football playoff semis. And pretty much the trend holds. Why did Michigan lose so badly to Georgia other than emotional reasons? Well, Georgia's really good, number one. And Michigan, I think, never was able to establish the run against Georgia, which tells you a little bit about Georgia's ability to play the run versus Ohio State's ability to play the run. And I also will continue to say until the end of time that I hate, 
hate Jim Harbaugh feeling like he has to get J.J. McCarthy in the game. Now, you can say, well, you know, he did a better job than Cade McNamara. Yeah, I don't even know if he did because I lost interest in that game when it got out of hand, and it got out of hand by halftime. But you never allow a starting quarterback to become everything he can become if he has to share snaps with somebody else. You just don't. The only time I can think of in college football in my covering years, years I've covered college football, which goes back to, you know, 1980. Yes, I'm that old. (laughs) Um, Was Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. Because Tim Tebow was not playing as a freshman at Florida to do things as a quarterback that Chris Leak could not do. Tim Tebow was playing because Florida didn't have a running game, and Urban, you know, well, loves the quarterback run. Leak was not a guy you could do that with. He would have gotten hurt. They wouldn't have been able to throw the ball to all their receivers. So he used Tebow as a running quarterback. And I know he threw touchdowns on the jump pass. It's not like he became a downfield passer as a freshman, although he did later on. So that's the one time that I think it's okay because Chris Leak wasn't looking over his shoulder like, is Tebow going to be the starter? No, that was never the case. Their leading rusher that year was Deshaun Wynn. He had 600 yards rushing going into the bowl game, although he ran it like he was a stud against Ohio State. But everything Florida did that night was amazing, 41-14. to None of us will ever forget that. So this is why I hate playing two quarterbacks, because it retards McNamara's ability to be everything he was. But Georgia was a better team. Georgia was a better team. Georgia was a hungrier team. Georgia just absolutely smoked Michigan, and that takes, of course, a lot of the momentum away for Michigan going into next season. In the other semifinal, I actually thought Cincinnati equated itself rather well, certainly defensively. Biggest play in the game to me, and I'm not saying if this had gone different, Cincinnati would have won the game, but the biggest, the biggest play in the game to me was Cincinnati second down, and I think it was goal or it was close to the goal line on their very first series, and Des Ritter has a touchdown pass on the slant. I think it was to Alex Pierce, maybe not to Pierce, but he was open, and Ritter threw it, presumably on the money, and a Bama defensive lineman batted it down. He batted it down. And Ritter had problems with that against Alabama all day long. I've watched Cincinnati a lot. Have not seen Des Ritter get passes batted at the line of scrimmage. That's going to be a concern for him going into the NFL. They're going to bring that up time after time after time in the pre-draft. Wait. But here is something that happens that I saw yesterday in the Ohio State game. I see it every single time with every single fan base. And that is, you blame your team when it does something you don't like, but you never credit the other team. You you never credit the other team for keeping you from doing what you're doing. And when somebody on your team has a great game, you never hold the other team accountable like you would if an opponent did that exact same thing to your team. What do I mean? All right. So Des Ritter gets passes batted down at the last scrimmage, and the Cincinnati fans are like, what's wrong with him? Why is he getting passes batted down? Come on, Des. The Bama defense made that happen. They did that to Des Ritter. It wasn't like Des Ritter thought, hmm, my guy's open. I wonder if I could throw it through that defensive end's hand. No. The defensive end got his hand up in the path of the football. You have to credit the other team. He's trying to, okay? So I don't think Luke Fickle comes out of this game with any damage to his uh, credibility, any damage to his marketability. I will stand by 
my comment that if, nobody ever hears the word if, but if Luke Fickle leaves Cincinnati, he's certainly not leaving before next season. I can't imagine that Luke would leave and go to the NFL and there's no college job that he would take. If Luke Fickle leaves Cincinnati at some point in the future, I think it will be very, very, very difficult for Cincinnati not to hire Urban Meyer if Urban makes it known that he wants the job. Cincinnati's a place where you say, oh, what about the bar scene? And what about the this? And what about the Jaguars? And what about, what about, what about, what about? Urban's a Cincinnati grad, and Urban wins. And Urban in the Big 12 would absolutely win. So that's just, I'm repeating that because I've said it in a previous podcast. And uh, if and when it happens, you know, you can give me the credit. And if it doesn't happen, you can say, hey, you were wrong. Now, Anything else I want to say about Michigan? No, there's nothing else to say. Anything more about Cincinnati? No, I don't think so. So let's get to the Rose Bowl because uh, this is a quintessential example of the phenomenon that I just talked about. First, let me pause and remind you, the attorney firm of choice of the Bruce Hooley Show on 98.9 The Answer of the We Tackle Life podcast is Willis Spangler Starling. They'll point out things like this. If you have a legal action pressed against you, the unfairness of the other guy blaming you when it's actually something they did, they will do those things. Willis Spangler Starling, great attorney firm. They can handle any case. They specialize in workers' comp, wills estate planning, probate, personal injury, employment law, but they handle it all. And the nice thing about Willis Spangler Starling, and they're growing, by the way, is if they feel like their expertise doesn't intersect with your need. They're not above saying, you know what? I think you should go to a firm specializing in this. And here's who we would recommend. So they're very good people, solid people, full of um, a desire to serve. Very, very. The, the reason why they're my attorney is because I do not have any question about their character and integrity, which means I have no question about them putting me in a position where other people would question my character and integrity because that's all you really have in this life. And I want no one to doubt my honesty, my truthfulness, and I know that will never be the case if Willis Spangler Starling uh, has to represent me or does represent me because they do in, uh, in all of my contract negotiations and everything like that. Anytime we have a legal question, I get out on the phone right away and I say, hey, what about this? So willisattorneys.com, that's the website, willisattorneys.com. A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y-S, willisattorneys.com on Twitter, at Spangler Willis, at Spangler Willis. So, okay, Rose Bowl. This is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. When your team does something, it's because of their own greatness. When the other team is equally adept or does something well, it's because your team stinks. First half, I didn't go, I didn't go on Twitter because I know everybody's like, oh, this defense. Oh, we got to get rid of this guy. Oh, what's the matter with this guy? And I'm sitting there watching it going, hey, Utah's got a pretty good offense. They got a pretty interesting offense. How many teams play three tight ends? This quarterback's a little bit nifty. Yeah, Ohio State's missing tackles, but Utah missed a ton of tackles. And I'm watching Ohio State. They got behind, and so they're behind at half by, you know, a fairly good margin. What was it at halftime? 35-21. And... I had no doubt at halftime Ohio State would win this game. Zero doubt. Even my buddies, who are more rational than most because they listen to me, <laughs> they'll find that as funny as I do. Uh, 
they listened to me on some on some things like this, they were like, ah, oh, this looks bad. I hope we can come back. They weren't as negative as the rest of the negative Nellies out there. But Utah scored on a kickoff return, okay? Are they going to score on a kickoff return in the second half? Probably not, because Ohio State's probably going to be smart enough not to kick it again to Britton Covey, although they did at the end of the game, which I'll never understand. And then the other thing is, Ohio State was scoring in like one, two play drives. Utah had no hope of covering them after they went three and out the first two series. And so it was obvious to me, like, Utah cannot stop them. Now, I would I did allow for the possibility that Kyle Whittingham, being a defensive coach, might figure something out to get pressure on C.J. Stroud or to double cover Jackson Smith and Jigba or to jam him off the line of scrimmage. But no, no, there was a play. I forget if it was in the first half. They didn't, Ohio State didn't score on it. <coughs> they were down in the shadow of the Utah goal line after, oh, I know what it was. It was in the first half after Kyle Whittingham ran the trick play that I've never seen run in college football history, which is, hey, let's put in our backup punter and let's have him drop a perfect snap at the opponent's 10-yard line. What is that? Like, no sooner did Fowler get the words out of his mouth, oh, Utah uses two punters. And in my head, I'm going, Two punters? Who uses two punters? Like, what is this? He's from Arizona. He's from Phoenix, Arizona. And my brother-in-law's from Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> like looking over my brother-in-law, and boom, he drops a punt snap. Right in his hands, drops it. First down Ohio State at the 10. And I'm like, if Ryan Day did that, he would spend the entire offseason explaining himself. I mean, Kyle Whittingham, I know he's done a nice job at Utah, but you can tell a coach who's never been in a game of this magnitude, right? Because what is Kyle Whittingham doing with the backup punter in the game? I don't care if they use two punters all season. That's stupid to put a guy cold in a game punting from your own 10. That's stupid. Rose Bowl lights, national TV, uh, and his hands turned to jelly. The other couple of things Kyle Whittingham did he saved his timeouts at the end of the game. Like, did anybody doubt Ohio State was going to go right down the field and score? I didn't. I don't think you guys doubted it either. So, first of all, he gets to the 15-yard line and with the backup QB in the game, and they think, oh, let's throw. Let's give Ohio State a minute 47. Like, what? I know my wife argued with me on this. She's like, well, you got to take the touchdown when you get it. No, not on first down you don't. Like, that was dumb. Run the ball. Run the ball on first down or on second down or something or run the quarterback or try some. But you got to run more time off the clock than that. When they gave Ohio State minute 47, I'm like, this game's over, dude. Because Ryan Day's not going to do that for Utah. Now, I was a little surprised Ryan let the clock go all the way to three se- or uh, 12 seconds to call timeout instead of three. But for those of you asking me on Twitter, and John asked me on Twitter, why not call timeout with three seconds left instead of 12? Because, John, if you fumble the snap on the point, on, on the field goal, then you just fall on it, and it's a loss of eight yards. You move Noah Ruggles back eight yards, and you kick it again. That's why. But And then Kyle Whittingham saving his timeouts at the end of the game. I hope Mrs. Whittingham 
likes the three timeouts Kyle's going to give her for Valentine's Day, along with roses and flowers. Here, honey, here's my three timeouts from the Rose Bowl. Love you. Like, what in the world is he doing? Letting stay run the clock down to nothing. So all you who were on Ryan Day's case after the Michigan game, get off his case and recognize this dude is a superstar. I do think he forgets about the running game a little bit too quickly sometimes. I do think he squanders timeouts sometimes, and he was lucky at the end of the game that he had the, you know, that he had the one he needed at the end of the game to stop the clock. Didn't happen in the first half. And again, in the second half, there was a time where they called a timeout on first down. And I'm thinking, just what? A first down timeout? Like take I wouldn't take the five. I'd have a I'd have a call, a hot call. I'd call it in from the sideline. If they're all standing there looking at me like they don't know what the what to run, I'd just have a word, just a word key. Viper, viper, viper. And you know, we're running a quarterback sneak. We got no clue what we're doing. Line up. Everybody get on the line of scrimmage. We're going to run the quarterback sneak, and we're going to figure out what we're doing. We're going to get one yard, two yards, three yards maybe, and we're going to be in second and seven instead of second and first and 15 by taking a delay of game. But don't waste a timeout on first down early in the second half. I didn't understand that. Deep in your right at midfield or wherever it was, there was no reason for that. Okay, so Ryan Day, big game coach. Kyle Whittingham, not a big game coach. But But back to my earlier point. All this consternation at halftime about Ohio State's defense is terrible. Ohio State, blah, 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 blah. Do you not think Ohio State's defense was better than Utah's defense? Utah's defense was horrendous. Horrendous. I mean, just how do you never change your defensive strategy on Jackson Smith and Jigba? How do you just let him run 10-yard free release off the line of scrimmage? Sometimes... I can't be absolutely positive this. I'm absolutely positive he had over 100 yards receiving. He might have had over 200 yards receiving at the point in the game where I looked, and they don't even have a guy covering him in the slot. Not even a guy on him. I don't mean like he's 15 yards off. I mean, there was nobody there. And I don't know why Stroud didn't throw it to him. I remember the play in my head. Smith and Jigba was off to the left. And I'm like, there's nobody there. Just run him down the seam and throw it's another touchdown. So uh, I never had a doubt Ohio State would win. Uh, they were better. Smith and Jigba fumbled the one time when uh, the kid from Utah made a great play from behind. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Utah was just bad. And the Pac-12 is bad. If that team can win the Pac-12, how did that team hold Oregon down twice? I know, injuries, whatever, blah, blah. I don't want to hear injuries. Like, Ohio State, here's the other thing. I love C.J. Stroud's quote after the game. Love it. He said something about, it's the Rose Bowl, man, and if you can't get motivated for this game, I question, you know, basically I question you how your love for the game or whatever. Absolutely right. Which brings us to the big controversy yesterday which was Kirk Herbstreit having the nerve to say on college game day that the current level, current generation of players do not love football as much as he and David Pollock and Desmond and the guys did in the 90s. And I know that frosted people, and I will tell you right now, that is 100% true as a general rule. So 100% true is like means it's true in every case, but as a general rule, that is 100% true. Because... I knew Herbie when he played at OSU. 
I will never forget. And Herbie writes about this in his book. He was very kind to include me and not not be uh, not say anything bad about me in his book because he could have. Um, but Herbie coming off the field after his senior year game against Michigan was when I really definitely thought, you know what? These guys aren't just spouting platitudes when they talk about the um, desire they all have to, to win a Michigan game and get a pair of gold pants. I mean, I knew they wanted to, but I thought it was also some of it was just, this is what you say, you know, when you play Michigan, they're the rival, blah, blah, blah. But I, Kirk, Kirk coming off the field after playing one of the most heroic games I ever saw an Ohio State football player play. He literally gave every single thing he had. There was not another ounce of energy in that young man uh, when he when he was a young man at the time of that game. And the frustration of leaving the field with a 13-13 tie was so evident. It's made an impression on me. I've talked about it to him before. Gene Wojciechowski called me and said, hey, Herbie told me this story that you had something to say after his senior year Michigan game. It's in the book. You can read it. Kirk's book is is tremendous. Um, because Kirk opens up and he talks about his dad and he talks about the importance of fatherhood and all these things. But Kirk Herbstreit loved football. He loved playing for Ohio State. He loved being a captain at Ohio State because his dad, Jim, was a captain at Ohio State, his late father, Jim. Kirk burned to get to the Rose Bowl as a player. He was never able to get there. And for him to then see guys like Olave, Haskell Garrett, Garrett Wilson, um, and... uh, Petit free drop out of the Rose Bowl because they're afraid they'll get hurt. Come on. Come on. You got NIL now. You got instant transfer. If Kirk would have had an instant transfer, he'd have transferred. And I and I know he would tell you today he's glad he didn't have an instant transfer eligibility possibility in front of him because he'd have transferred to Michigan or he'd have transferred somewhere and played the option. But instead, he stuck it out. He dealt with adversity. He triumphed over adversity, and it set him up for success later on in life. This is the problem with guys like just, oh, I'm not starting. Okay, I'm out of here. Yeah, I believe in perseverance. I believe in adversity. I believe that because it's a biblical principle from Proverbs, blows and wounds cleanse a man, and blows and wounds can be cleansing. So, um I don't have a problem at all with what Herbie said, the people who gripe about it. And I, I'm sorry that Kirk is a guy who really wants to be liked. Kirk really has a, an inborn need to be liked because I think, and he talks about this in his book, he was always the pleaser in his family. It was a broken family, a family with dysfunction, and Kirk wants to be a pleaser. And so when he says something that's 100% dead on, it's go- certainly going to offend some people. And so they, they snark him big time. They attack him. And he then goes into pleaser mode where he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that or whatever. And that's just just one of the endearing parts of Kirk's personality. I I tried to encourage him yesterday with, hey, you didn't say anything wrong. And I hope that, you know, somebody you know telling you that, which I'm sure many people did who know him well, uh, would uh, insulate him against feeling like he made a mistake because he didn't make a mistake. And C.J. Stroud confirmed that with what he said after the game. It was a chicken move by Alave and these guys to opt out. I said it the other day. The very definition of selfish is putting your own personal interests ahead of the team's. The very definition of quitting is being able to play and not playing. So don't blame me if if they're selfish quitters who opt out of a bowl game. That is the that is the willful decision they made to wear that label. Yes, as they protect their NFL futures. That's fine. You don't protect your NFL future. That's fine. But you cannot do it 
without being a selfish quitter. And I know right now you're all going, Matt Corral, Matt Corral, Matt Corral. Yes, Matt Corral, Mississippi quarterback, sprained ankle last night. I don't know. Maybe it's broken. Maybe it's high ankle sprain. Whatever. Matt Corral made a decision to play in a quote-unquote meaningless bowl game. I guarantee you the Sugar Bowl wasn't meaningless to Mississippi, and it certainly wasn't meaningless to Matt Corral. And if I'm an NFL scout, and it's close in my evaluation between Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, I'm taking Matt Corral 100 times out of 100 because he showed me what kind of kid he is by getting out there and playing in a game that he didn't have to play in, and I find it to be a reflection of Kenny Pickett at Pitt, Kenneth Walker at Michigan State, the eight Penn State guys who sat out. Like, what? What, Penn State? You sat out? Like, you had the chance to say, well, it's a meaningless game. Not meaningless to James Franklin. Not meaningless to Penn State's fan base who stood and cheered for you your entire careers. Not meaningless to the people for with Penn State loyalties who lined your pockets with cash on NIL. Not meaningless to momentum in the offseason. I can give you a lot of reasons why that game that Penn State lost to Arkansas was not a meaningless game to Penn State. They're all over James Franklin's butt today at Penn State. And, you know, I'm not surprised because they were ranked, what, top five maybe after they beat Wisconsin. And now they finish one game over 500. <laughs> and you're looking at another year of Sean Clifford and another decade of James Franklin. Like, I'm not happy if I'm a Penn State fan. And the vitriol will be directed at Clifford and Franklin, and it ought to be directed at Brisker and those dudes who skipped out. So uh, you walk out on your team. That's what you did. You walked out on your team. I will never change my mind on that, ever. And I know all the arguments for. I will never change my mind on it. And I will not also change my mind on the fact that this attitude where it, you do what you can do only when it's convenient for you and only when it benefits you is an attitude that is corrosive to our society. Corrosive. It is not good. We need to get back to hard work is worthwhile in and of itself. And we need to get away from inventing ghosts to be afraid of. Football players get hurt playing football. That has been a truism ever since the first game was played. It will always be the case. You can rip up a knee in pregame warmups just like you can in a game. And so I hate this whole risk averse, oh, oh, something might bad might happen to me. That is a lousy way to live your life. In fact, that is a lousy way to endure your life because if that is how you're living, you're not living. Okay, enough soapbox, I hope, because I know that's too much for some of you guys, but sorry about it. Okay, so Buckeyes win the Rose Bowl. Ryan Day says it gives them incredible momentum going into the offseason. He's right. They're going to be ranked number two in the preseason next year. Write it down. Bama will be number one. They got Bryce Young coming back. It's the youngest team Nick Saban's ever had. Bama will be number one. Unless they get run by Georgia, I would imagine Bama will be number one. I don't know what Georgia's uh, situation is youth-wise, but my guess would be that uh, Ohio State would be number two because how do you look at them and not rank them two? They got Stroud back. They got Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, they're loaded. Travion Henderson. They're going to be really, really good, and everybody's going to expect them to be much better on defense, and I think they probably will be. Uh, one good thing that I know will not make headlines coming out of the Rose Bowl, what the thing I was 
Yeah, the thing I was most happy about in the Rose Bowl, and this is a personal thing, I was so happy for Cade Stover to be able to get out there and play defense by necessity and show that that young man deserves snaps at Ohio State. And stop yanking him around on positions, please. It's egregious what they've done to Cade Stover there. Hey, come in as a linebacker. No, now you're a pass rush end. No, now you're a tight end. Whoa, now we need you back on defense. I mean, and people go, well, you know, we asked him. No. No and no. Don't buy that. They ask you because, hey, there's a spot open over here. I mean, if you'd like to get on the field sooner, maybe you ought to change positions to tight end. I never understood moving Cade Stover to tight end. It was a stupid move. And I'm already salty over the fact that Ohio State doesn't recruit enough Ohio kids. A four-star from Texas has, like, some kind of special magic dust on him that a four-star from Ohio does not. So I'm loving the fact that Cade Stover is uh, getting snaps and playing. And yes, true confession, I'm friends with Cade's dad. Uh, he's a really, really uh, great guy, wonderful family. They embody everything that is great about our state, about our country, hardworking farm people from Lexington, Ohio, up by Mansfield. Cade is a respectful young man. He's committed. He's a hard worker. And I was just so thrilled to see Cade make an impact defensively for Ohio State yesterday. So I hope that portends great things for Cade Stover going forward. I would love to see uh, Cade Stover and Gabe Powers from Marysville, who's the same kind of young man from the same kind of family, not entitled. And G Gabe, of course, is a five-star coming into Ohio State. I'm sure he'll be there in January. But I'd love to see uh, those two young men succeed because anytime an Ohio kid can play for Ohio State – I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. If Cade Stover is on the Mel Kuyper first-round draft list going into his senior year or after the regular season, his senior year, I will – I don't even ask – I've never even asked this question, but I will guarantee you if Ohio State is not in the college football playoff, Cade Stover is not tapping out of his final game at Ohio State. See, I said I'd go back to that. Indeed, I did. <laughs> Okay, I'm having fun. I hope you are too. All right, here we go. Let's now remind you that 2022 is here. Hopefully you have really good health insurance as an individual or hopefully you're offering good benefits to your employees as a business owner. If you have a question about it, auiinfo.com will answer your questions. That's all I'm asking. Give Chrissy, Steve, Julie, the AUI team a chance to service your business. They'll line up great benefits for you. You say, well, we don't offer health insurance. Okay, good. Maybe that's a good idea because a lot of employees now don't really want health insurance. That was my number one thing when I got out of college. Hey, I got to get health insurance. But now, I mean, you can be on your parents' plan until you're 26. I think that's the right answer. I know who knows. Chrissy at AUI. AUIinfo.com. It's a website. AUIinfo.com. Do they have a physical office? Yeah, they do. It's in Northeast Ohio and Canton and... They do a great job servicing any business, any individual in the state of Ohio. And if you own a business out of state, they can service you there too. What do they do? Well, they answer your questions. They're a brokerage, so they have all policies, all plans available. For business owners, they offer free HR 24-7. Free? You know what you're paying for HR counseling? I think there's one firm out there now that I hear advertised on iHeartRadio. They offer HR for like 90 bucks a month or something. Huh. You get it free at AUI if you're a business customer of theirs. You pick the insurance companies. They don't pick them for you. 
and the insurance companies pay them, you don't pay them. Even if you're a business owner, you don't pay AUI. If you're an individual, you don't pay AUI. They'll help you find a great plan, give you the answers, let you pick, and it's free. So I don't know why you wouldn't do it, but hopefully you will. AUIinfo.com. All right, so college football, we've wrapped. We will, uh, oh, we have an Ohio State basketball game tonight. Yes! First game in 22 days. Woohoo! Buckeye Hoopsters back on the hard court against Nebraska. Good team to play as you're trying to shake off the rust and get back out there. The Cornhuskers are coming off a win over mighty Kennesaw State. <laughs> they are 6-7, and seven. <clears throat> had lost five in a row before that. Ohio State is 8-2, but as I say, they have not played since uh, mid-December against Wisconsin, actually early December, against Wisconsin. They looked great the last time out. They're 8-2. There's RPI ratings that rates you basically your offensive efficiency and those kinds of things, and Ohio State is ranked number one in the nation, so I don't think that means anything at all, but it does mean they can play good offense if they are clicking, and hopefully they'll be clicking tonight after they've had their forced... uh, rest period by COVID, and hopefully they're all vaxxed and boosted and natural immunity up to their necks, and we won't have any more interruptions in the season. Buckeyes and Nebraska tonight at 8 o'clock. I'll be writing about that game. You can read about it probably around midnight, 1 o'clock, or first thing tomorrow morning on PressProsMagazine.com. P-R-E-S-S-P-R-O-S Magazine.com. PressProsMagazine.com. You'll also find Mark Snyder's story there on the Rose Bowl. All right, let's finish out with a little NFL football. Big game for the Bengals today. Joe Burrow trying to go legend, lead the Bengals to the AFC North Championship in his second season. It won't be easy. It's the Kansas City Chiefs, the AFC defending champion. Uh, Patrick Mahomes without Clyde edwards Lair, but they still have Travis Kelsey. And so they are going to be a load. Kansas City's been on a nice run. What, they're on like eight in a row, I think. But the Bengals, they should get Logan Wilson back. I think the Bengals have a real shot at home. Love to see how the first quarter goes. Kansas City's super explosive. But you know what? So Cincinnati. Bengals are very explosive with Jamar Chase. Now T. Higgins coming off one of his best games of the year. Maybe his best game of the year. Tyler Boyd, sneaky good. Joe Mixon, sneaky good. That defense is sneaky good. So this is a real big-time game, and it's going to be cold. It shouldn't phase either team because, you know, Kansas City certainly plays in the cold. But this one will be interesting. It's the master, Andy Reid, against, you know, a Zach Taylor, third-year coach. He's come a long way. He's got the Bengals rolling. Bengals win the AFC North with a win today or a win next week in Cleveland. Uh could they win the AFC North if they go 0-2? Yes, they could, but everybody else around them would have to lose too. The Bengals do not win today. Then the Browns game against the Steelers on Monday Night Football takes on added significance because if the Browns win that game and defeat the Bengals next Sunday, then the Browns, for all of their travails and their peaks and their valleys and their drama, the Browns would be the AFC North champions. Yes. And the Browns, well, what Baker Mayfield will we get against the Pittsburgh Steelers? I don't know. You don't know. Will we get the Baker Mayfield that was, you know, pretty good for the first half of the season? He had eight touchdown passes, three interceptions, 
came off a phenomenal game and a rout of the Bengals in Cincinnati? Or will we get the Baker Mayfield of the last five games where he's completing only 56% of his passes? He's thrown seven touchdown passes and eight interceptions in those five games. Over that stretch, Baker Mayfield is the number 25 quarterback in the NFL. Not good. So the Browns going into Pittsburgh, trying to slay Ben Roethlisberger, who for his career in 15 years against the Browns, Ben Roethlisberger is 25, 3, and 1. So you tell me, what better way would there be for the Browns to prove that they have escaped the wrath of the football gods than to send Ben Roethlisberger out of out a loser in his final home game at Heinz Field. Karma would tell you, history would tell you, that Ben Roethlisberger is going to find a way to win that game and go out a winner in his final game at Heinz Field. I mean, he beat the Browns earlier this year, 15-10 to 10 in Cleveland, when the Steelers didn't have a kicker because they got Chris Boswell hurt on a stupid fake field goal. So... I mean, if you want to go chalk, you'd say, mm, Browns history, Steelers history, Big Ben's history, Browns are going to lose that game. But I don't know. Maybe this is the year where Baker Mayfield will get back on a roll, and the Browns Browns clearly have better personnel, but they will be missing some key guys in the secondary, and they may not have Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt is a guy who I think is tremendous. Not that Nick Chubb is not also tremendous, but, man, when you have Hunt – Spelling Chubb, and Kareem Hunt is a guy who I, I, I find it hard to believe there's a player in the NFL who plays harder than Kareem Hunt. Boy, does he play hard. So that is a game worth watching as well. That's Monday night. First, though, keep your eyes on that Bengals and Chiefs game today at 1. All right, let's get in the faith portion of the podcast. As I said, this is Season 4 of the podcast, and in Season 4, uh, I have dedicated myself professionally this year to emphasizing a search for truth and viewing all things that I talk about here and through and via my radio show at 98.9 The Answer through the prism of truth. Uh, my view of truth is truth is absolute. It's either true or it's not true. I do not believe in the phrase your truth or my truth. I do not believe truth is shapeable, moldable, malleable. Truth is what the Bible says it is, what God says it is. That's uh, my firm belief. And in studying the Bible, I've been very open with you guys to tell you that one of my spiritual disciplines is to read a book of Proverbs every day that corresponds to the date of the month. So today I was reading Proverbs 2, yesterday Proverbs 1, so and so and so. Proverbs, of course, was authored by Solomon. Solomon was a historical figure. If you're saying, oh, I can't follow this Bible stuff. Well, follow the history stuff. Solomon was the son of David. Solomon was born out of an affair David had with Bathsheba, who was Uriah's wife. David had Uriah killed. He married Bathsheba, who he had already impregnated. So that shows you a couple things. Number one, that God is amazingly forgiving. Forgiving. Solomon was not the first child. The first child died uh, was stillborn or died, you know, shortly after birth. But Solomon was then born to Bathsheba and David when they were married, because David married her after he had Uriah killed. So what does that show you? That shows you that God forgave David for the sin of adultery and Bathsheba for the sin of adultery, and that there was a consequence for their adultery, 
the loss of their child, but that then God, when God forgives, like the slate's clean. Like he didn't make every child they had die or penalize them in some other way. And he raised their child to be king of Israel, succeeding David on the throne. So that tells you about God's amazing forgiveness. Like when God forgives, he he forgives and he forgets. Like we don't we may forgive, but we don't forget. So Solomon was asked by God when he became king, you can have anything you want. What do you want? And Solomon didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for whatever. He asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom. And so Solomon is labeled the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote the book of Proverbs, which is a saying of which is a book of wise observations and wise counsel. And that's why I read it every day. But Solomon was not too wise in that he committed a direct, um, he directly contradicted things God told him to do. And this may not be something that you know about Solomon, but I'm going to tell you right now, which is explains why I am prioritizing truth in 2022, both for my own life and for the privileged the, the privilege that I have to relate to people on my podcast and to relate to people on my radio show, I want to equip the people who give me the uh, privilege of their listening ear, I want to expose people to truth to give you a prism through which to look at things in life, your family, your business, your friendships, your uh, view of our country, because my this country is precious to me. My father fought for it. I believe in this country. I believe in this country first and foremost because I believe it is a divinely inspired founding behind the founding of America. I do not believe our country was founded to be racist and always racist. I believe it was founded. It was racist when it was founded, but we thankfully had men who wrote into the Constitution, uh, all men are created equal, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all men, you know, that your rights come from God. They were divinely inspired to do that. And I think we're getting away from that, and that concerns me about our nation, because I think that we are a crucial um, cog in the future of history and uh, and the future of God's kingdom. I'm not interested in the power of America. I'm interested in the power of God's kingdom. And so I think Solomon is a useful lesson in that. So when Solomon became king, and you can find this in 1 Kings 8, Solomon prayed this long prayer to God. And, um, and, and it was just amazing the relationship that they had. Um, and so, you know, Solomon was very, very close to God. And then because they were close to each other, God talked to Solomon. He appeared to him twice in first Kings nine, uh, after Solomon prayed this long prayer to God Solomon, uh, God responds, and he says in, in 1 Kings 9, verse 4, As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. First of all, isn't that interesting that God says, If you uh, walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did. Wait a minute, isn't he the guy who committed adultery and had Uriah murdered? <laughs> yeah, but God looked at David. He'd forgiven him of that, and so it was gone forever. But God also told Solomon what would happen if he didn't do what Solomon was charged with doing. 
and in 1 Kings 9, verse 6, But if you or your sons turn away from me, and do not observe the commands and decrees I've given you, and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. Now, you tell me, has life gone well for the Jewish nation over the centuries? No, it has not. And is that a surprise? It should not be a surprise, given what God told Solomon and given what Solomon did and what happened to Israel after that. I don't mean this in any way, shape, or form to be anti-Semitic in that I love the Jewish people, and I have said many times, if you're not on the side of Israel, you are on the wrong side. All Christians should be on the side of Israel. They are God's chosen people, and they will be restored. A remnant will be restored. But this is a principle in the Bible. God tells you what's going to happen if you don't obey him, and it happens. He does not like talk out of the side of his mouth, and he does not fail to ever mean what he says. If he tells you something's going to happen, if you don't do a certain thing, you don't do it. What he said is going to happen will happen. And he said to Solomon, you know, if you don't do this, if you don't obey me, other nations are going to look at you. And he continues, he says, all who pass by will be appalled, appalled by what happens to Israel and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to his land and to, to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. And if you know your history, you don't have to know your Bible, but if you know your history, you'll know that the Jewish people were taken uh, captive in Babylon. They were away for 70 years, and they've never, they used to be organized by tribes, tribes of Israel have broken up. Ask a Jew now, which tribe do you belong to? They don't have any idea. So the whole nature of Jewish, the order of Jewish society was changed because, why? Because Solomon did exactly what God said not to do. Even after God prospered him beyond belief, and there's, in uh, 1 Kings 10, there's this uh, narrative of other kings visiting Solomon and what they gave Solomon, and they were amazed at Solomon's wisdom. And, and here's 1 Kings 10, 23. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put into his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, and spices, and horses, and mules— and it talks about how much wealth Solomon had and how he stored it all over the land. And Solomon was all, he was prospered beyond belief because at this point in his life, he was doing exactly what God told him to do. And then there's this very ominous sentence in 1 Kings 11.1. 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. And it talks about the nationalities of the women that he loved. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. And that is what happened. Solomon like married all these women, foreign women. They looked beautiful to him. They worshiped these strange, made-up, phony, baloney gods. 
And Solomon decided, oh, well, if it'll keep her happy, yeah, sure, I'll build a temple. I got all the money. I'll build a temple to that God. I'll build a temple to this God. Well, pretty soon, who do you think the people were worshiping? They were worshiping all the gods. In addition to some, I'm sure, were still worshiping the one true and authentic and sovereign God of the universe, but it corrupted their beliefs. It changed their focus. It cheapened and diluted their allegiance to God. And I see in our country, this is not a, this is not a commentary on intermarriage by race. This is not a commentary on, oh, do you mean I'm sinning if I marry somebody who's Asian? Do, am I sinning if I marry somebody who's Hispanic? No, that's not what this is about. No, 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 no. We don't have a direct order from God not to do that. What we have a direct order from God to do is worship him, esteem him, put him first in our lives. And if we don't do that, and we're not doing that as a country, we're not doing that as a country, not nearly like our founders and the people even up to like the 1960s did. And if we don't get back to that, we have no hope of not suffering the same kind of fate the same kind of abandonment of our nation by God that happened to the Jewish people. I believe that with all my heart. I see it in how, the, how we're infighting and how we're chasing after, you know, this, that, and the other thing in our country. I see so much error in our country, in our belief system, in our values. We don't have shared values anymore. We can't even agree what we should prioritize. And the only healing for this is not a political candidate. The only healing for this is not a social program. The only healing for this is not more taxes or less taxes or higher interest rates or lower interest rates. It's the only healing for this is to turn our hearts back to God. And that happens one individual at a time. It's like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do we do that in our country? How do we heal? One podcast listener at a time. One dad at a time who prioritizes that in his own household to his own wife, with his own children, to his own business partner, to his own friend. That is the only way that we get back to what God designed our country to be. I would never make the case that we are now God's chosen people instead of the Jews, but I know this. The one true God, the sovereign, authoritative, all-knowing God of the universe has greatly favored the United States of America over the years. And we have become obstinate, stiff-necked, hard-headed, and rampantly disobedient in the way that we honor life, in the way that we obey his word. And if we do not dedicate ourselves as individuals, as individuals, don't say, well, you know, if this guy gets elected president, maybe it'll change. Don't say, well, if I can get a couple really good, right-thinking people on the school board, maybe it'll change. No, no, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to everybody who genuinely cares about this and understands that our only way back is through aligning our thoughts, behaviors with those articulated in Holy Scripture. That is where this battle must be won. That is where this battle must be first engaged. So, how do we do it? The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, stand firm. 
buckle that belt of truth around you. What is that belt of truth? It's Scripture. You can't do it. You cannot do it if you don't know what truth is. And you cannot know what truth is unless you're in God's Word every day. Unless you're filling your mind with great things. You're watching crappy shows on TV and all these fanciful murder, you know, crazy like people sprouting wings and this, that, and the other that I see advertised during bowl games. You're watching porn on your video, you know, on your phone, on your laptop. Are you? Come on, man. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Like, the journey to a great place starts with the right first step and the discipline to make a step in the right direction every single day. My, I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. And yeah, I want to hold you to account and hold me to account. And I want you to hold me to account on these things because this is there is no more important thing for us to do than to turn our nation back to God. That is my fondest hope for 2022. I do not at all shirk my responsibilities in hopefully being a trigger, a fulcrum on which that can happen. And so that's how I leave you this Sunday morning, shortly after 10 a.m., as I head off to church to worship the one true God of the universe, to learn more about him, to learn better how to be a better dad, a better husband, a better friend. It's a rich life. It is a rich, rich, rich life. Man, if you're not, if you're not engaged in it, you're missing out. Trust me on that. Trust me on that. So with that, email the show. We tackle life at gmail.com. We tackle life at gmail.com.